Magic the Gathering is a difficult game, made even more so by the fact that you can talk to a longtime player and still walk away having no idea what they said. We're here to keep you up to date on Magic news and format changes just like your favorite FNM and boss would. Except you don't have to smile and nod when they talk about basically ancestral. I'm Kyle, a tournament grinder and general modern enthusiast. I'm Anthony, a tournament grinder, FNM and boss, and lover of standard in spite of how much it loves to hurt me. And, and we're, we're the, the Goblin, Goblin Trash Masters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Trash Masters podcast. I'm Kyle, joined by my partner in crime, Anthony, and we have a pretty sweet show. But for the first segment today, Anthony and I are going to praise some things and shit on a lot of other stuff. We're going to talk about sleeves today. Yes! (laughs) Sleeves, sleeves, sleeves. We play a lot of paper magic. They're very important. (laughs) Yeah. There's like a bunch of different brands of sleeves available, and as somebody who spent a few quite a few years uh ordering stocking keeping track seeing what people want what people don't want uh that sort of stuff i feel like i have a lot of insight into different kinds of sleeves and we're all about improvement on this one and Mm -hmm. there's some amount of free percentage points you can pick up in your events by not having to waste any mental bandwidth we talk about not wasting mental bandwidth all the time Mm -hmm. on the sleeves that go on your carts so, Kyle, off the bat, sleeves that you end up using more often than not. Dragon Shields. I Yeah, I'm the same a, way. I'm a Dragon Shield stan. Uh, I've tried yeah. a lot of different ones. I've tried, uh, like, Ultra Pro. <laughs> I've, tra- I've tried Game Genic and, like, Dragon Shields. They're the most durable. And it, as far as inner sleeves go, too, it doesn't matter what inner sleeves you use. They go in there fine. Yes. And they fit perfectly. You're, you're not going to deal with, like, any mark card issues they're going to be durable for a long time you're not going to be shuffling in one splits you have to go into your deck box get another sleeve put it in shuffle again hopefully don't break again no dragon shields i feel are the best yeah and is there a specific color you use i've i've tried a lot of colors over the years but um for me it's just a uh, matte black uh there's matte jet which is like a tad different mm-hmm, uh but mm-hmm. matte black i've liked the most because i you know i enjoy black sleeves like they look really nice but my god i don't know what it is they have had the best shuffle feel of any sleeve i have had like that color of dragon shield specifically it's weird but i'm just like i'm gonna buy these forever (laughs) it's really it's really not weird so in regards to dragon shields i feel like that's actually the main criticism i have for that brand of sleeve is that there's a lot of different colors which is good you have a lot of stuff to choose from but the consistency that you're going to get the size the height the width the durability consistency varies a lot based on what color you're using also uh, probably a little more obviously is how transparent the back can be which Mm -hmm. is a thing for dfcs they are the roomiest sleeves they are the conversion van (laughs) of sleeves you're going to have a lot of extra there's going to be a lot of extra sleeve meat what a terrible phrase. <laughs> Sleeve meat uh, at the top 
and on the sides of your cards, which does make it easier to double sleeve or use your KMC hard inners like I like which to use. You and I both use the the perfect hards, which is just yeah. basically laminating your 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 cards and they fit uh in the dragon shields perfectly but yeah um dragon shields are great all around and like your point with the the, the different colors i've noticed that i've i've had all different kinds of colors over mm-hmm. over the years and some shuffle great some shuffle not so great some feel different yeah and you know I, like you said with the transparency uh, on the back that matters as well because mm-hmm. i know you you use a lot of you use the the, the pink sleeves yep uh, a lot and in a certain lights you know the back is transparent there i can't use dfc's if unless i'm using smoke back yep it's a bummer but mm-hmm. uh some colors like you said the the black and jet are both really good i actually mm-hmm. have probably about 800 arkham horror cards sleeved in dragon shield matte jet blacks and and those are across many packs from many different print runs spanning the six years that Arkham Horror has existed. And I can tell you that I can put a card sleeved in a jet dragon shield that was made six years ago and a jet dragon shield that was I bought off the shelf today and I can shuffle those together and there is no height difference. There is no width difference and they are holding up still. So Jets, matte blacks are really good. I find the pinks to be really good. Mm-hmm. Horror stories, uh, yellow and green. I find yellow and green to be the most horrendous ones. Like I think that yellow and green break like nobody's business. And I always think the green and the apple green both, I think, feel terrible. And I don't know if it's, yeah, I I think that I, I just won't touch them. But other good ones, I think, are the purple and petrol. Petrol was super, super nice. I really like those. And uh, the ones I, I haven't really liked as far as Dragon Shields and like the color goes is suppressing the, the, the white sleeves. I just didn't really like them. Mm-hmm. They, Whites and, and I, ivories. Mm-hmm. I've noticed with uh, with some like dragon shields, what what like what some of the color print runs. It's not so much like the shuffle feel is bad or like they break. Is sometimes the edges get caught as you shuffle, Ding. and there's that little corner that goes up and down. And mm-hmm. I've hated that, especially like you know we talk about playing competitive magic at tournaments. It's just a surefire way for like, it just takes one judge or one opponent to be like, Hey, I think my opponent has marked cards because mm-hmm. there's little marks on the ends. And you just realize like, Oh, it does look like that. But my sleeves just are kind of duty right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I love that you brought up marked cards, right? Because mm-hmm. I think, and this is going to be a kind of an unpopular opinion, but I think that you should use new sleeves for every event. Yeah. I uh, think new, you, you should, new you should or use newer. new sleeves. See, I won't play in a competitive event, like FNM or whatever, I don't care. Mm-hmm. But if I'm playing in basically anything that is comp REL, I want to make sure that my sleeves are, I unwrap them from the pack use them fresh everything after that they can be reused used for packing used for sorting whatever but i think that they should be uh, for me they're always going to be new sleeves and especially with these dragon shield mats that corner ding is something Mm -hmm. that will happen eventually to every every set of sleeves you're using and if you're playing a 10 rounder that's probably gonna be the case by the end of it but dragon shields are kind of the most expensive sleeve so yeah Doing mm-hmm. that all the time might not be in everyone's budget. So while we're both Dragon Shield stands, uh, we're going to talk about some other types of sleeves and positives, negatives. Kyle already knows who I'm going to show for as your second choice. I don't want to spend quite as much on Dragon Shield sleeves. Ultra Pros, certain ones, 
I could make do with. I just didn't like how they looked. But there are some Ultra Pros I like. I, I will agree that I haven't used Katanas. I haven't heard great things about them. Yeah, I think Ultra Pro is usually the one that people grab off the shelf when they're mm-hmm. getting into Magic because they're the cheapest. And they have licensed art as well on the sleeves. I think that's a big deal as well. If you're playing Magic at a Campari event, just do not don't don't use art sleeves. I can't recommend it in good faith. Literally, it's so much easier for there to be variation for you to be caught with marked sleeves if the print isn't exactly lined up from one card to the next. Mm-hmm. It and their durability is usually worse, and they usually smell really bad. Like I feel like Dragon yeah. Shield art art sleeves or any art sleeve, but I've noticed it the most with Dragon Shields. They smell like a a waffle scented candle, and I know that sounds absurd. <laughs> And that's because it is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I know that sounds absurd, but like it's, I think the smell is so, so awfully strong, but we talked about ultra pro are ones that people kind of get drawn to because of these, the cool designs, the magic Mm -hmm. art. They're terrible. They're terrible. They're terrible. They they break. Yeah. They break break so easily. They do that thing where they kind of roll around the card yes where oh my gosh. The, the ends of the sleeves might kind of if you put any torque on the if you put any torque on the, torque card, on the card, card you know they'll just kind of roll in there and that's because like a dragon shield is about a hundred hundred microns thick whereas like an ultra pro is like 30 to 40 they're just much thinner mm yeah um so they don't they don't hold up quite as well and their bond around the edge is not great they have bad size and color consistency like i play a lot of board games too where i have to sleeve components but like the width of the sleeves not matching perfectly isn't the end of the world Mm -hmm. like it's not a terrible thing like if we're playing board games i'm not worried about getting hit for marked cards but even then it's so bad like the the uh, these ultra pro sleeves are so bad for it that i feel like it's it's not worth that to me and um even worse is the legion brand sleeves they do exclusively art yeah sleeves. yeah i've used those for limited they won't survive a three-round draft no th- like i had to change like the sleeves so so many times and it didn't matter how cool the art was like it was just it was awful i'm just playing a limited like casual thing like on a Saturday and the sleeves were awful. Like I'm like, I'll yeah. shuffle it like a playing playing cards. Like I'll just do it without sleeves. I'll do it dirty. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's like, it's like chewing on glass, shuffling those sleeves. Oh, I swear. Awful. Yeah. yeah. And you know, that's the one thing that broke my heart the most. And also like, with all is with like all the pros and the pro tour back in like you know the day, all of them had ultra pro sleeves. I'm like, you better be getting a lot of sponsorship money because these sleeves are awful yeah, why are you playing yeah. these on like the top eight of a pro tour these sleeves oh. are terrible <laughs> also last dig at ultra pro is their stupid little egg that they've got right in the corner oh where the God. power and toughness yes. of a creature goes this game is it. 30 years old you've had 30 years not to do exactly this literally anywhere else on the card would be preferable than to the exact spot that needs to be completely translucent so people can see that information. There's that little silver dot that's raised. It's just like a silver fucking nipple, like on your playing card sleeves. It's so dumb. (laughs) (laughs) 
you might go to a store and see some KMC sleeves and you've heard people talk about KMC like super positively, but it's a trick. Wrong. It's Wrong. bad. Because KMCs <laughs> used to exclusively be imported from Japan and they were like good sleeves. They're thinner. They break and bend a little easier than dragon shields. But if you don't shuffle like a monster like me, I think you're going to be fine. They're just better things you could get. Really? They, they were, yeah, they were popular. And then they started producing them right here in the good old US of A. And what do you mean the quality went down? <laughs> now, KMC Japan, like the ones that are still made in Japan, are that old formula. So if you liked KMC sleeves before and you've bought some now and they suck, look at that packaging because they'll have a little US flag on it. And then you'll know that they're using the same name, but it's not the same. Product. But it's not the same. It's not the same product. It's not even the same production style. They're just recycling it. You mentioned katanas. You've Have you messed with those at all? I have not. But honestly, in all these years and talking to multiple different players, it's always been the same consensus. They're not awful, but they're bad. Yeah. But, like there are better things you can do. Like if it's between katanas and ultra pro, you're probably going to take the katanas. Yeah. Honestly. But overall, eh. Yeah. So like they're basically the same sleeves as KMC Japan were always. They're the same exact sleeve. It's funny that katanas did a better job of mimicking KMC Japan's recipe than KMC US did. <laughs> Overall, they're pretty they're pretty decent. They're just as expensive as Dragon Shields, so if you're going to get them, just get the Dragon Shields instead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's where I am. But some people like them an awful lot. They do skew a bit quite a bit thinner than Dragon Shields at about if I recall correctly about 70 to 80 microns. Okay. Thick, which is nice. All right, you're going to have to deal with it, Kyle. Oh no. Cuz I'm a shell. I'm a shell oh, for no. him. Oh no. If you are looking for a value sleeve, maybe you're sleeving up a cube and you don't want to you don't want to buy eight packs of dragon shields for that. You don't want to spend $80 sleeving or maybe you're sleeving up a board game or something that's not going to get quite as much wear and tear. I can't recommend Game Genic enough. I love them. They are about the same price as Ultra Pros. They are much less durable than dragon shields at about 50 microns thick. They can't quite take nearly as much uh, of a beating the size consistency is pretty good and when there's variation it tends to be from print run to print run not even from pack to pack so if you're buying two things next to each other on the shelf your consistency is going to be pretty good your color consistency is good but not great on your blues yellows and purples it, it, strangely enough the ones that are the game genix sleeves that are always perfect 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 no matter what are the transparent front transparent backs they're really yeah they're they're game genic prime sleeves are Weird. clear front and back they're the ones that are used for board games and they're the okay. ones that have such a good cut that you could sleeve all of your cards in them and then put them all together mix a bunch from different sets different print runs together and it'll be exactly perfect. It, it's so weird because usually the translucent sleeves are where you can like kind of be a little more lax yeah. because those are not the ones that are being used in competitive events. Mm -hmm. But I think they're less durable than Dragon Shield. They're more durable than Ultra Pro, Legion, of course, KMC US. I think they're more durable than Katanas or KMC Japan. They're thinner kind of sleeves at, you know, in that in that 70, 70 micron thickness range. But 
I personally, I, I recommend those if you're looking to save some money, but you, if you want to sleeve up something new for every event, but you don't want to spend 10 minimum 10 to 13 to $14 on dragon shields, go with these. That's, that's where I am. But if you, Kyle had to suggest a sleeve to someone and they were like, I'm not spending $10 a time on dragon shields. What would you recommend? I mean, is I, I would do the same thing with game genic. Want to like save some money and, like and honestly the the whole reason I really don't like Game Genic, like their sleeves, is is not so much like the sleeves themselves. Is that my my hopes were just put so high because the Game Genic deck boxes are the best fucking things I have ever used. They're mm. so good. Preach. And then yeah. you just get, and then you just like the Game Genic sleeves, like, yeah, they're cheap, they're fine. I'm like, no. Make it good. <laughs> do what you do with the deck box for this. But honestly, if you want to save some money and you just want, honestly, if you just want a kit, like I need sleeves and inner sleeves. Game Genic has that. And oh yeah, I like you, that. You can just have it and put it in there. Now, like like I said, don't don't take my word for it because I'm a bougie bitch. I'm gonna spend ten bucks on on sleeves and get and like over ten bucks or anything like that for dragon shields mm-hmm. because I just love them so much and you know like. You and I play a lot of competitive IRL magic, and I, I shuffle these like pretty hard. <laughs> but like Anthony just mistreats his cards, not in a bad way, but just like he roughs them up when he shuffles. Like that's why he has dragon shields and perfect cards. <laughs> yep, I'm showing Kyle right now my the case of dragon shields <laughs> that I keep. I have a couple different colors. I have a case in jet. Matt and I have a case in matte pink and I have a case in matte purple and a case in matte petrol. Oh, I love the color on petrol too. Mm-hmm. So good. You know, as much as I said, like how much I love dragon shield too. I wish their mm-hmm. art cards were a little better. Like they're cool. If you just want to have like a, a fun sleeve for just a casual deck, but they, they run into the problem too of the mark corners when you shuffle uh, mm, with them, yeah. which is, which is sad. Cause like the art on them is, is really cool, but Honestly, like I think we're in the same boat. Like, just don't buy ultra pro sleeves. Like, they're not. It's not worth. Great. It's not it's worth not the money worth you it. save. They won't yeah. make it through your event. Yeah. If you want to just have it for a casual deck, sure. But if you're going to like an RCQ and RC, an actual tournament, just don't don't sleeve with ultra pros because you'll be talking to a judge every every game. See, for me, if I'm playing like commander or something like that, I really, really, really do not want to resleeve that deck. I resleeve my competitive stuff, new sleeves every event. I have had the same set of sleeves on Azusa commander for like four years. And for those, I rec I don't like I don't recommend Ultra Pro for those either. Because what I mm-hmm. want out of those is I don't care if they get their corners dinged or they've got little swirl marks on the clear part from shuffling mm-hmm. from just getting scratched up and stuff like that. What I want is I want them to go a really long time without splitting. And the way I do that is I go with dragon shield classics. Oh, <laughs> not Matt back dragon shield classics. I think are just so much more durable than the, than the mats. They do not have nearly as much of the corner dinging problem. They last forever. They the corners don't bend. The corners b- 
bend, but they are more flexible. So they kind of bend back and they don't quite catch so much Mm -hmm. and they hold up forever. And the limiting factor, I think on dragon shield classics, they are going to get disgusting before they break. And you can do that by just washing your hands more. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Everyone needs to wash their hands. Just more. wash your hands. Like, you yeah, know, just wash just your hands. Be, be, be clean. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I would agree with the, the classics. And especially, you know, if you're sleeving up a commander deck, whether it's casual or like even CDH or anything like that, you want, yeah. you just don't want to resleeve a hundred cards over and over and over again. And Dragon Shields are going to last the longest. And, you know, a lot of people really like classics. I, I, I like mats personally, but classics are really nice. The reason I don't use classics is because they're very slick. Um, and when I shuffle with classic leaves, uh, I turn into the world's shittiest magician and all my cards go everywhere. So I just don't bother with them. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, the world's shittiest magician. <laughs> it's like, hey, you want to see a card trick? Oh, it's everywhere. I'm going to leave. <laughs> all right. So um, I think we just like don't have any differing opinions on this. I think for both of us, our oh, yeah. first recommendation is Dragon Shield Matte, use a good color. Mm-hmm. and are like for competitive events for for if you're trying to save some money recommend katanas or game genix mm-hmm. and if you're playing casual commander and you want those then you want or you're playing commander and you just want those sleeves to last for as long as humanly possible my recommendation is just uh class dragon shield classics what about you for that one yeah, I say Dragon Shield Classics or just yeah. like Dragon Shield Mats if you're if you're preferring. And the best part of that about that, if you want to get them for a commander deck that like you have for years and don't have to resleeve it, it comes with a hundred cards. They're, they're they're right there. You don't have to buy two packs of it. It's just all in that one pack, and you just hundred and four usually. Yeah, you always get extra with them. It says a hundred, but there's like you know two to four like little extra ones in there, mm-hmm. and you know it it'd be great. And you know this is this is us just you know telling you what we like and we're definitely not sponsored by dragon shield not yet but um you know we just really like dragon shield sleeves and if you're going to be playing competitively and if you're here listening to us crazy people talk about competitive magic you know having good sleeves is important and dragon shield like they make great great sleeves especially if you're double sleeping and that segues me into my next point if you have foils in your deck double sleeve your cards God, or else, yeah. or else you will be DQ'd for marked cards. <laughs> yeah, I don't care that they came out of the pack like that. They're marked. It's bad. You know what it is. You go to draw that card. Oh, it's my collected company because I know it curled because it's a oh, no. crappy foil. Too spicy, too spicy, <laughs> too spicy. <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, sleeves, it feels like the, oh, we're just talking about sleeves. It's fine. Like it matters in a competitive setting. You yeah, know, we're ta- we're trying to get percentage points wherever we can, mm-hmm. and just not having to worry about running away from a match because a judge is like, "You need to change that sleeve," and you've used your exact amount, and you have to go and you have to buy more sleeves uh, on on no notice, and then resleeve your deck there while your opponent's sitting at the table. Mm-hmm. Don't don't put yourself in that situation. Don't waste mental. Don't waste your mental bandwidth. Your mental bandwidth on the weekend event is finite. Mm-hmm. Save as much of it as you possibly can for your gameplay. Yep. And that's 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 the goal. You know, that's how you become better at magic. And that's how you get better results, too. When you're you know, we talked about this in, in previous episodes, when you're not thinking about all this other trivial nonsense, you play better. Yeah. And that's that's the best part. And, mm-hmm. you know, also 
wash your hands. Like uh, I just yeah, want to reiterate, just, just wash it, wash your damn hands. Like wash your hands. don't be gross, yes. <laughs> especially when you're playing a game of magic where you're handing cards back and forth. Yeah. Like when you ask me to cut your deck and I see the sleeves Ooh, the that little, used to the be little, white, the little black grimies that get oh, caught yeah. on the edges, oh around gosh. the edges of the sleeves. Oh my God. Take a butter knife to those. And then wash like, your no, hands. thank you. No, thank you. I, I don't. You're good. I, <laughs> if you're cheating, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> You've got it. You go to cut the deck and it sounds like you're stepping on a movie theater floor. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I upset you. Mm-mm. But hey, we, we, we are definitely game genic um, deck box stands like. Oh, no question. Those things. Like, yeah. Like ultimate guard. I, I love it. those decks. De- deck they're boxes. They're great. They're not, they're not game genic game genic. Yeah. Oh, chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, uh, I think this is some, something that I, I, it needs to be talked about because, Oh yeah, for sure. Like, especially recently with like some Mark card issues and things like that. And it, it can be avoided simply with what sleeves you have, you know, knowing what cards you have. Do I need an inner sleeves? Do I need a specific kind of sleeve? I'm going to a tournament. I keep shuffling my deck. My, my deck sleeves keep breaking. What should I do? It's like, know what sleeves you like, uh, be aware mm-hmm. of how hard you shuffle too. No. Cause that, that goes into it. <laughs> Don't listen to Anthony <laughs> bridge them. Motherfuckers. <laughs> that that's why uh, your Delver of secrets from things. 2012 had that triangle in the back from all the times you shuffled those things. Yo, you want to talk about the Delver of secrets? Talk about my tundras. Just wham, slapping them things. There is like I have one of my tundras. Um, I had to get, I had to get, um, I had to get another fourth tundra. I had to get a fifth tundra because my playset of tundras, one of them had been shuffled so much that a piece of the side of it, where my thumb would go, a piece of the side of it was had just fallen off and just worn off just from shuffling that tundra, like bridge shuffling that tundra with my thumb unsleeved for so long. My word. <laughs> no wonder you use perfect cards to protect yeah, you I'm from a, your cards. <laughs> I'm a monster. Like there's like my, my, my tundra has a thumb hole. Like w- Use I'm I'm using the perfect cards. Yeah, I understand. It makes my deck look very silly. I understand. I'm playing Yorion. My deck goes like <laughs> head height off the table. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. My tundra <laughs> has a thumb hole, which is usually people assume it's a euphemism. All right, and hello everyone. Welcome to a segment where we're going to be talking about a deck that I love, and I am very excited. Uh, today because not only do I get to talk about modern merfolk we get to talk about modern merfolk with the modern merfolk master himself uh, would you like to introduce yourself well hello everyone it's Nikachu the merfolk master uh, I don't know if that is what I'm most known for these days but I am a huge fan of modern what I love about modern is you can I mean in theory take any deck, master it, and play it at a competitive level. And I'm hoping that I am proving that with one of the most beloved archetypes ever in Magic the Gathering, Merfolk. It looks like just a pile of stupid little lords, but I've taken it to and finished very high in many competitive tournaments. It's taken me to the Pro Tour. It's taken me to a top eight of a boost beta booster draft. Uh, I believe in the deck, and I still believe in the deck. 
Oh, you you love to hear it. You love to hear it. <laughs> I'm like a, I end up being like a blue white control stand a lot of the time. But even even my faith falters on that. <laughs> and I'm sure this will bring you joy. But I did I did go full head empty at one point and did get a Sphinx's Revelation curse catchered at one point. That was... Oh no! Oh no! Anthony, <laughs> I could have no. just paid one less. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> Was it an onboard trick, or they vile it in play with a vile oh, no, on one? It was one? staring me. It was oh, staring no. me. Just right, right in the eyes. Curse catcher just tap eyes. right out. Just <laughs> yep. tap out for me. Yes. Yes. My opponent says, oh, come on, man. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. I, I have some things that I'd like to know about, specifically in regards to Merfolk and Modern. We're smack in the middle of Modern RCQ season in our area. Mm-hmm. For our regional yep. championship qualifiers, a lot of these end up being Modern. So mm-hmm. everyone's kind of looking for something cool to bring to the table i know that tomorrow we're going to be traveling to louisville kentucky to play in an rcq and kyle will be playing modern merfolk in that event so oh yeah <laughs> we're we're counting this as uh, we're including this in the prep for that event yeah there this interview go. is coming right in time yeah yes. perfect timing perfect timing. <laughs> help i want to win <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, I guess the first question about playing Modern Merfolk is just you know explaining the the deck, the basic goal of it, what uh, what kind of deck it is, like just the texture of games. So I mean, I could start this off by saying uh, because it's a creature based deck, a lot of people have the misconception that it is some sort of aggro deck, which would would be completely false. If you play the deck like an aggro deck, you start like just deploying your creatures without the, the slightest consideration of what your opponent is going to do on their turns or what their threats are going to be, you're going to get completely smashed. Now, uh, I think for the most part, the Merfolk community takes Merfolk and considers it a tempo deck. I personally look at Merfolk like a control deck that use, uses mm. creatures to win the game. I'm very, very patient. As most people uh, watch my gameplay, I'm as patient as possible. I may have a bunch of creatures in my hand and a bunch of mana to spend on them, and I still might just pass the turn to my opponent and just attack them with one creature in play, holding up all the interna- interaction necessary to answer the threats of my opponent. So th- for me, my approach to playing Merfolk and you might say this is the same for a lot of tempo decks, is what is my opponent going to do at one mana? What are they going to do at two mana? What are they going to do at three mana, four mana, five mana? Uh, what removal can they spend, play at any particular course of the game? So what is the best way that I can progress the board while also controlling the most impactful parts of their game plan? Like, for example, against Cascade, Cascade, let's say Living End, for example, you can tap mm-hmm. out easily, turn one, turn two. But by turn three, you better put on the brakes because they're already able to cascade into a Living End and maybe completely wipe your board. Or maybe you should calculate, maybe you should extend a little bit on the board, force them to Living End, because after that you can flash in some more creatures. Because if you put deploy more creatures, you might put their life total low enough that after they Living End, uh, you can then violin a creature and then rebuild the board and attack with the Muta Vault, and then all of a sudden they're actually dead. So it's all about considering what you got to think a few steps ahead, because if you're just thinking at like level zero, then you know, I mean you're completely at the whim of your opponent's interaction. And I I like to always think how can I interact with uh, my opponent? And it remind you know I started picking up uh, Popper Fairies not too long ago, but I don't oh, know yeah. the Popper Ooh, format. Fun, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't know the Popper format. 
And the one thing I was always going into my like head for that I didn't have the answer for was, okay, what is what can my opponent do on turn one? What can they do on turn two? What can they do on turn three? Essentially, I didn't know what I was playing around, but I tried mm -hmm. to play around something. But mm -hmm. if I knew more about my opponent's decks, if I knew exactly everything they can do on turn two, if I knew exactly everything they can do on turn three, I'll play more accurately. So I will say that, you know, when you pick up Merfolk, you better have a good knowledge of uh, all, not only all, all the different archetypes, but basically what they can be playing in their lists. And, you know, and if you take it a little bit deeper, you'll have an even larger edge if you know exactly how they sideboard. So you can expect, you should know what you should not expect anymore from game one and know what to expect going into uh, games two and three. So I um, yeah it's a it's a chess game it's a it's an intricate game of chess that makes it very complicated but it's really satisfying a really big payoff in my opinion. Yeah, I, I feel the same way uh, as as far as like playing Merfolk and you know when I first started playing Modern like this was the the deck I picked up and it was like oh it's like a creature deck it's kind of aggro you kind of play one two three drop and turn them sideways but like you said you have to be patient with it. You, you can't just like, let's just deploy a bunch of lords and turn them sideways and see if it works out. The deck is very good at instant speed with Vile as well as all the flash creatures. And kind of that light bulb went off in my head when I started playing more, for, more competitively and like putting reps into it. It's like, you have to be patient. You, you know, the deck can reward you for, for really, really tight gameplay. Oh, yeah. And I, I love that you brought up post side, uh, uh, like uh, mm -hmm. what your opponents are doing, because people have trouble figuring out how to play against merfolk a lot of the time a lot of people will treat it like an all doom blades on deck kind of matchup where they're going mm -hmm. to want to just like just try and overload on spot removal and just try to one for one on everything and then you're down a card because you played nather vile but that's really not always the case so why does that work out that way? Why does it feel like that, do you think? So there's a few things that you can do. For example, if um, one thing, there's one thing you could do. There's a many different plans. So for one is uh, you could side out Aethervile, and then mm -hmm. you have the highest threat dense deck possible. Uh, yeah. with Immutavolts as like creature lands and maybe some other utility lands like Horizon lands. And hopefully your threat density is going to uh, outmaneuver their removal, especially if it's just one for one re removal. Then eventually after uh, every after the coast clears and the dust settles, uh, I'll, ha I'll be up two cards to your, to your one or I'll be up three cards to your one. Hopefully something to that effect. Uh, mm -hmm. Other things you can do is sometimes choke their removal. Like... Again, you can play you can play at flash speed. I could wait for you to tap out and then I start deploying cards and then you don't have as much mana to deploy to deal with everything at once. That mm -hmm. can also be the case. There is yeah, I could play at flash speed of course. So I play at flash speed and even if you deal with my creature uh, ideally, uh, hopefully you can only play one removal spell, uh, but I'll, if I can play, say, something with Vile and then use my mana to put two creatures in play, if you can only kill one, then whatever else is lived on my turn gets to go through and hopefully overloads your removal. And there's other things like setting, now these days we got Svelun of Sea and Sky, so if I can set up a situation where I squeeze in these tiny merfolk that you don't really want to kill, like a Dockhand or a Tide Shape or something, and I get Svelun 
Moon in play. Well, now she's indestructible, and it's just a game of keeping her alive or keeping her indestructible versus your removal. And then, of course, your removal has to hit all the dinky stuff, but it gets taxed every single time <laughs> you try to target a merfolk that's not Svelun. You have to pay an additional one, or it's going to get countered. So sometimes I'm just patiently passing the turn until I can squeeze a Svelun in play, and then we make the game about Svelun. So, but it, it, so much depends. You know, I, I don't really like to give like you know solid hardcore rules because so much depends on how the game is playing out. Sometimes you're a removal heavy mm. deck, you just mulligan to five or four, and I'll just deploy my creatures and force you to spend your removal spells, and I'll just exhaust them really quickly. Mm-hmm. Or you keep seven, I keep five, and I'm screwed. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yep. And you know, it's, and that's ma- and that's magic. Yep. But like, quick question, just specifically in regards to the card Silvergill Adept. Mm-hmm. I have not had the pleasure of interacting with this a lot where in 2023 mm-hmm. does silvergill adept fit in are we still jamming for silvergills is this untouchable or well the the debate is on because uh <laughs> when i was at grand prix sorry magic con vegas mm-hmm. uh i knew the weakest card in the deck was silvergill adept just based on playing the deck however it is important to have cards that cost one blue one colorless in your deck because you really want to leverage that muta vault and then if you don't have enough cards that are there that take a blue and a colorless by turn two then your deck gets really clunky like if you're overloaded on blue blue creatures mm-hmm. like one the greatest thing about hex catcher the new the new merfolk flash lord that counters things like a curse catcher except it hits all it counters things like a negate is that it costs one blue one generic so that made mutavolt way more playable than uh for a very very long time so silver gill adept has that advantage there that's why i played silver gill adept but frankly i mean it's just completely overpowered by everything like it's a bad attacker it's got no mm-hmm. toughness it doesn't interact with the board there's too many decks right now that are just threatening to kill you really quickly one toughness is just way too vulnerable to things like fury for example so it's like almost near damn impossible to defend your silver gill adept and the tempo matters like drawing a card isn't enough you know if if there's a lot of decks that if they just stabilize on turn four and i've got no clock they're probably just going to win Mm -hmm. i can't not lose too many resources even if it was like a fair trade so um i'm not high on silver gill adept right now but there are people still experimenting on both sides some people are still trying silver gill adept i'm proposing hey let's try to scrap it let's try you know, trying playing without it. I Because I made mention of this, like I'm siding this card out like every single game. And then a member from my community, Lord Magica, suggest, suggested, well, why don't we just take it out of the deck? And you know, and I, I can't say I disagree. So, and then <laughs> the moment I took it out, I was still winning with it. So I, I still think it's uh, fine. And there, there are other really deep finishes with Merfolk lacking Silvergill Adept. The thing is like, there's no good matchups for Silvergill anymore. Like the best yes. matchups in the past were things like blue white control where you just you got a body for nothing and you drew a card that's like it's best case scenario these days but like against murktide sometimes that's just te- like a tempo disadvantage against hammer time super tempo disadvantage oh. like i tell a lot of people if if you're gonna die with a bunch of cards in your hand like against a very aggressive deck or a combo deck then obviously silver gill adept wasn't worth it silver gill adept is good in matchups where the game is going to go long and the cards might actually matter in in the long run Mm-hmm. We just don't have enough of those matchups. Like, I don't want Silver Guild up versus a Primeval Titan deck. I don't think I want it versus Yogmoth. Yogmoth can just no. snipe it off very easily. It is really bad against Yogmoth. <laughs> <laughs> 
coming from the Yawgmoth player. So I don't mind it in some matchups where I think cards matter, like maybe uh, some combo decks like uh, Living End, for example, that might be a little patient and they try to position a big Living End with Counterspell backup. And then if I exchange a bunch of resources to counter their counter magic, then maybe I'll be low on cards and the Silver Gill Adept helps uh, rebuild that. But I'm I'm not a fan, so I'm dumping it. I'm not going to say it's that's the, certainly how the future of Merfolk goes. But one thing that differentiates me, in my opinion, from a lot of the rest of the Merfolk community is I'm willing to make big cuts. I'm willing to make big cuts. Like, I cut Curse Catcher back in, I think, 2018 or something like that. And I said, hey, everybody, this is literally a Merfolk of the Pearl Trident. It doesn't counter anything. It doesn't counter Teferi or any of the Planeswalkers or enchantments or artifacts. All the removal spells are like one mana. There's no Cryptic Command floating around anymore. Like, this card is just bad. So I got rid of it. And... uh Eventually, everyone else followed suit. It's just funny. Curse Catcher's sort of back right now because the living and like the Cascade decks. It's pretty good versus Cascade tax in them. So, yeah, oh, at yeah. the same time, when the Hex Catcher just turns into turns every Merfolk into just a better version of Curse Catcher, it's kind of mm-hmm. if you're it's expecting a, if you're expecting a lot of Cascade decks, like you know one or two of a Curse Catcher is really good. But yeah, I I, I would tend to agree with you with Silvergill Adept. I'm, I'm running two in the main deck right now, and it's been okay. But it's just one of those cards that is just like, it's it Elvish Visionary. It is not like it's not just <laughs> ETB draw card. It's draw card with extra steps. Yeah, 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 exactly. But I I will say you know one thing that's great about Merfolk is, and this should be important for every community out there, for every one of those niche archetypes. Be willing to scrap your sacred cows. Like you should look hey. very objectively at your 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 staple cards. You don't. Don't be like trying to rebuild your deck, but then you put all the staples in immediately. Sometimes you got to critically look at those things. I mean, you know, maybe eight Island Walk Lords for Merfolk isn't even correct either. Maybe the correct number is six. Maybe it's four. I don't know. And then you know, someone has to experiment with this. But I very strongly believe, you know, Silvergill Adapt is on its way out. And so I'm... I'm making a move. I love that you brought that that you mentioned that because it's something that we've said over and over and over again on this is that sacred yep. cows make the best hamburger. <laughs> You've got to critically look at these deck selections that you're making, the cards that you're putting in your list, and you've got to say, are they pulling their weight or are they here because they were here last week and the week before that and the week before that? One very important thing in modern is always keep a good t- tab on what people are doing with their decks because that mm-hmm. gives you a very large advantage, especially when you're playing a reactive deck like Merfolk. Mm-hmm. Like this is a deck that rewards experience. Like like the people who are really consistently getting results in the uh, in the Merfolk community, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. There are other people who are consistently going deep in events or making top eights. Uh, and it's because they've stuck to this archetype for a very long time, and they just know—they not only know the game plan of their deck versus all the other decks because they've played all the other decks multiple times now, but they also have—they're playing modern regularly, and they have a really good feel for what the opponents could be doing at any moment. So if you go in blind with this deck, uh, well, it's gonna be a little tough, yeah. It's <laughs> gonna be tough, but consider them learning. Uh, uh, consider it a learning experience. Consider mm-hmm. it a learning experience. Yeah, the deck gets some amount of, you know, like you mentioned, sometimes your opponent, like, doesn't, their interaction doesn't line up. You are putting creatures in play. Those creatures get big, and you'll get some amount of free wins. But, I mean, I feel like percentage-wise, it's uh, it's lower than, like, the free wins you get playing creativity, right? Oh, yeah. There are (laughs) very... 
I think the most free win I get out of this deck is... I don't know, my hand is full of Spreading Seas and Tide Shapers and Dock Hands and I'm up against Tron or something. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I, there's not many free, completely free wins, but there are some matchups where it feels like a, it's a free win. Yeah. That 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 sounds that sounds like justice. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I'm never I'm never I'm never crying too hard when I see a Tron land get spreading seized. Uh, uh. <laughs> Alright, we talked about like some of the like the main cards, like the sacred cows and whatnot, but um what are like I know there there's some wiggle room with Merfolk. Like what are some of the flex slots that you look at? Um like going into an event or like certain metas or you know, things mm -hmm. like that. Well, so I am of the belief that basically the whole 75 is a flex slot. I think you oh, could change spicy. a lot. I, I really have nothing against, you know, massively gutting the entire 75 for another 75. But, you know, I mean, I don't know what deck you have uh, available right now. But I, I do, if I were to say what should be in the deck right now in 2023, I think there definitely should be still four Aether Vial. Um, I think there should be at least six one-drop creatures that just seems to come up in the results. Six one-drop creatures is the most consistently winning variant. Sometimes you can win with... I, think, I, I don't mind having more, but at least six is good. Um, I think you should have two Spreading Seas, at least in the main, in addition to the four Tide Shapers, because like Urza Saga is just too painful to play against if you do not have a guaranteed like Spreading Seas to deal with it. And there's enough decks out there where the Spreading Seas is going to be relevant. Four Hexcatcher is perfect. All four, uh, eight Island Walk Lords. Four Svelun. And then the rest can be up to you, uh, really. I mean, I prefer to have four Cavern of Souls right now, but it's not completely mandatory. I mean, if you if you know you're not up against any counter magic in your metagame, then you might as well not have Cavern of Souls. You can play with maybe some Horizon lands or some other alternative lands, uh, outside, like uh, more Ottawa or Minamo or Oboro or something like that. I do. I think two Ottawa is, is really good, uh, so I prefer to have that in my mana base. And then cards I think you should always have at the helm. You need to like always have a place of like four Force Negation, four Chalice of the Void, four Subtlety. Um, those are the big interactive spells that I think you should have, at least in your toolbox, be ready to either bring in or take out. Right now I'm pretty high on having four Subtlety in the 75, four Force Negation. Um, and I personally think you should have Dismember in the deck. Like... I'm a huge Dismember fan. The people are on and off on this card because it's so painful. Like you can, mm -hmm. and also it's it's honestly dead in a lot of matchups. But if you're on the draw versus Ragavan, you can just lose, especially if yes. it's a blue Ragavan deck because they'll start mm -hmm. playing your blue creatures off the top of your deck. So I think the threat of Ragavan is so high that I am more than comfortable to put four Dismember in my uh, main deck. But I, I don't want to say like it's definitely mandatory because other people have some success with other builds. But uh, like, I don't, I know Ragavan is too popular to dodge. So because you can see it in Murktide, you see it in the Rakdos midrange decks, you see it in Breach, you, uh, you see it everywhere. So uh, I'm pretty high on four Dismember in the main. And if not, put it somewhere in the 75. Although I will say, if you're not playing with Dismember, or you're playing with less Dismembers in your 75, you could play with Horizon Lands, which are quite painful, but quite valuable. But in oh. my opinion, if you're playing with the four Dismembers, don't play with her Horizon Lands. I think it's just... I saw a Merfolk deck on stream uh, at a paper event where they were playing the four Dismembers and, like, two Horizon Lands in the main, and they were up against Hammer, and they took, like, oh, no. four or five damage from their Horizon <laughs> Lands, and they just died. Yep. Mm -hmm. Like, they, they 
they didn't even you get the card out of it. And there's just too many decks where if you're on the draw, you, you don't want to throw away your life points versus Murktide, versus Hammer, versus even like random decks like Crashing Footfalls. You might need that two extra life in the end to get one extra turn to swing in to kill your opponent. So I'm mm -hmm. super off of uh, Horizon Land so long as I'm playing with this member. Like four copies. I think you can mm -hmm. get away with like two or something. Yeah, and everything else it. can be changed for whatever you want. Counter spells, you know, we oh, have a nice. whole toolbox available for it. I, I love that because, like, talking about this deck, I'm just, like, getting that jealousy. I'm just like, man, this <laughs> sounds really sick. This sounds really good. And just, I like the idea of just, like, when you're talking about pinching mana, like, like trying to pinch them on mana, when you're talking about levying different like levying your life total as a resource levying your mana and your just how nimble the deck is as a resource against your opponents trying to make sure that your plays line up well against the removal spell that they could have at each point in the game mm -hmm. i gotta tell you man you're selling oh, fish right now oh anthony <laughs> are we bringing you to the dark side oh you can still play with basic islands and and yeah. you know interact with your opponent you know <laughs> and, you, and you have a mana base that's like basically invincible versus blood moon Oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't lose to it. There's a lot of I win cards in the format that you don't really fold to. I mean, I mm -hmm. in some cases, my Blood Moon opponents Blood Moon themselves. They had less blue mana than they wanted to. <laughs> it also reminds me, one another way of playing around removal is, uh, I mean, depending on your hand, you can just, like, spreading seize their mana. Like, just spend some time oh, yeah. spreading seizing their oh, mana yeah. to cut them off. And then if they stop playing lands, then that's great. You just mana screwed them. And then... Mm -hmm. uh, uh, at the very least, it will choke their mana for removal, especially if it requires two or more mana, like Colgan's Command Terminate or... Mm. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, too. And especially with like a lot of impactful like uh, double pip spells, like with um, mm -hmm. Season Pyromancer out of Scam or Murktide out of, out of that deck, like sometimes just, you know, spreading seas on a Spire Bluff Canal or a Steam Vents and just having them like go double blue or just like get, getting rid or of like any of the, the red mana or just, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be like, oh, you know, it's hitting an Urza Saga or a Tron Land or, you know, the Blood Crypt out of the Grixis Death Shadow deck. Sometimes just like, all right, you can only, you can't play Lightning Bolt right now. You can't play Unholy Heat, things mm -hmm. along those lines. Mm -hmm. Makes them, even if they do get to cast a spell, you can still get them. You're not totally locking them off of red or whatever, but you can mm -hmm. still force them into a situation where they don't get to use their mana efficiently. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. All right, uh, so what would post-board games look like? Yeah, well, I try to... You know, it's such a loaded question because there's, you know, you're <laughs> going to play, play very, very differently versus uh, different decks. You, you basically try to take care of the most dangerous cards. So, like, personally for me against Breach... The most dangerous cards are going to be things like the creatures and also Breach itself. So I'm going to bring in a bunch of cards mm -hmm. that can deal with Breach itself, like Force of Negation, for example. And then that's why I want to have four dismembers for like their Raghavan or their Emery to keep looping stuff. That That's uh, horribly annoying. But from my perspective, if they can't get a Breach online, then, then, then the deck actually... I, I don't really think the deck can do a whole lot. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's just full of, full of air. So fortunately for Merfolk, we have a lot of tools in the form of like Hexcatcher. Yeah, Hexcatcher and our regular general counterspells to answer the uh, Underworld Breach. Yeah, but that's basically what I'm thinking about. Like what's the hardest, what are the things that I may basically lose to? I'll side in cards versus those cards and then I'll side out cards that I think uh, are not gonna interact very well in the matchup. I, you know what I also hate? I don't like bringing in cards that's going to interact that is going that can be interacted from my opponent. 
So there are Ooh. some cards, like, mm. for example, against Breach, you could bring in Chalice of the Void. It's not terrible. Like, it's a good card mm -hmm. in the matchup. It will prevent, you know, Emery from cycling uh, Urza's Bobble, and, you know, they can't combo off when they Breach. However, Chalice of the Void is a permanent that sits on the battlefield, and it's you can it can get bounced by Teferi Time Raveler, for example. Um, I think there. I think it can get prismatic endinged. So mm -hmm. these are like answers to the combo that they have answers for. So I personally prefer to only bring in answers that they have no answer for. Yeah, like you don't want to get hit with that like splash damage. You don't want the yeah. deck that's bringing in these. Uh, you don't want the deck that's that's you know has access to Tefiri to your plan against them to be something that gets hit by the Tefiri. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not saying you can't bring those things in. But, oh, yeah. I mean, I prior, prioritize the things that they do not interact very well against. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I that's one. I feel like this is one way that I think about Merfolk that not the average Merfolk player thinks. They just think oh, yeah. they're always thinking, you know, oh, this is good card in the matchup because it deals with this. Yeah, but they also have these cards that deal with that card. So it's it's mm -hmm. not 100 mm -hmm. percent. But sometimes that's fine. Like, I don't mind Chalice of the Void versus Crashing Footfalls or Living End, even though they're bringing in the artifact hate for it. Sometimes just being mana efficient and then putting your opponent on the clock is the way to go. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It's it's just something that you always want to consider. We talk, we've talked a lot about just trying to play one level above your opponent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And part of that involves understanding that you have a plan that you're trying to execute, but your opponent also has a plan that they're trying to execute. And you want to think about how your plays line up against the plan that they are trying to execute at that moment. Mm -hmm. I like that. But definitely very important. Know how they're, get some idea how they sideboard against you. Oh, yeah. look, look at their sideboards. You know, if you're playing online, go look up that deck randomly and see what the general sideboard is and try to get a good idea what they're going to bring in versus you because you don't want to just play right into it. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Maybe they're bringing in some sweeper or some removal spell or some two for one mm -hmm. that you can pl easily play around. There's a lot of room with Merfolk to play around cards. Definitely. And, you know, it's not just in, in modern Merfolk playing it, uh, but just playing the modern format, format knowledge goes a mm -hmm. long, long way in a, in a format like this. But yeah. All right, so the, the next one would be like, what are the matchups you're worried about and what are those ones that you're like super easy cakewalk? I would say, uh, so personally for me, the easiest matchups now are like Tron and Amulet. Amulet used to be really hard, but now thanks to subtlety, it's like, just it's absolutely easy. oh man yeah i didn't realize <laughs> that i just needed one more turn i always needed one more turn to win the game and it was basically proven with subtlety there might be like one extra edge now in that they're playing with urza saga and they'll very often play it on turn one and then i'll be able to play a spreading seas or a tide shaper on their urza yeah. saga before it gets to so pop on chapter <laughs> three so that, that might be an extra edge that I have, but all of a sudden, since the printing of Subtlety, and I guess maybe the printing of Urza Saga that runs into my interaction, uh, the Amulet Titan match, I will I would love to play Amulet every single round of a tournament. And same thing with Tron. Uh, at least when I'm playing with uh, Richard and Dockhand in a combination with Spreading Seas and Tide Shaper and all these removal spells, and even Subtlety helps there because mm -hmm. they'll, they'll bring out things like Wormcoil Engine or a Planeswalker that this card can answer, or sometimes I'll just have four mana and Subtlety of the damn thing, and I now have a, an extra 3-3 on the battlefield. 
Uh, I think that is a very comfortable matchup. But the one thing about Merfolk is, like I said, you could gut the whole 75 and make a whole new thing for your metagame. Like, this is one of the advantages of Merfolk. You don't have, you could have four Dismember in the main, or you have four Force Negation in the main, or four Subtlety, or four, four Harbinger of the Tides, four Spreading Seas, in addition to four Tide Shaper. You can build the deck to beat like basically anything that you want there are some people in the community that are like I've, i haven't lost to Merktide in 20 matches and for me it's like fit with the way i've built the deck it's like 50 50 whenever i play against Merktide. so but i would say yeah amulet and tron maybe i think that's it honestly merfolk <laughs> is a really 50 ish 50 ish deck like, oh, it always yeah. feels like they're mm -hmm. really, really close, and you have to just sort of squeeze out the win versus other people. Oh, Breach apparently is a good matchup. I've lost to that deck once in, like, 20, 25 matches or something like that. Like, it, which is disappointing because I don't actually know how to sideboard properly for this matchup, only because I haven't lost to it, like, <laughs> hardly ever. And I could easily attribute a lot of those wins to people who are inexperienced with their deck. So, um, so they maybe they're sideboarding poorly or they're playing the game poorly. But I, you know, I was up against one guy in Vegas, and he he just said like my deck is a like a worst worst matchup possible sort of archetype, oh. where I have enough little blue creatures early enough, unblockable creatures with enough interaction that just renders uh, the breach deck. Uh, very poor, very poor, which yeah. I thought was surprising because then I asked, well, how, what's the Murktide matchup like? Oh, it's an easy win. Like, aren't these like both blue interactive <laughs> decks? But whatever, I guess the Merfolk deck uh, takes the cake. I, with Breach, I, I can attest just so because we had a friend uh, come on and do a, a, a deck tech on that and talked about just how Blood Moon is the probably the worst thing they, they could see. A timely sp spreading seas or a Tide Shaper against Breach they're they're a three color deck but they only run a mountain and an island and if you mess up their mana in any point of like the curve between like turns one and four it's really hard for them to do anything especially yeah. if you spreading sees there is a saga they're just like well i can't do anything oh, yeah. about that <laughs> yeah the mana is definitely a limiting factor for them a lot of the time mm -hmm. oh i love hitting those those urza sagas with the spreading seas. oh it feels it's so like, good uh, sinkhole that draws like, a card oh feels like a oh. nine for one. Oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> So bad matchups in general are going to be anything that gets underneath me. Uh, traditionally, anything for Merfolk, the, the worst matchups are always the fast matchups. So hammer time can be a problem. I think I can shore up the matchup with an insane amount of interaction. Like I'm playing four Harbingers in the sideboard. You could even do better by putting them in the main. I got the four Dismembers. But like uh, I have uh, four Spreading Seas to meet their like Urza Sagas and their Ink Moth Nexuses. But e even with all of that, like the matchup is like fine, but you know, I, I can I, I doubt I can make it like great or anything like that. And if I don't have all this interaction, they can roll me. They can roll me really mm -hmm. hard. Um, other matchups that I think are difficult. I find the Rakdos matchup difficult. I wouldn't say like, I wanna say the matchups are close, but I'm losing anyway. It's a, mm -hmm. That's just how I'm gonna put it. They have not only a lot of power, a lot of disruption, but they put enough of a clock on you early on in the game. Like, for example, if they grief you um, and strip a bunch of cards out of your hand uh, with Undying Evil or something like that, then you're on a substantial clock very early in the game, which means the only way I can interact, for the most part, is like also deploying my creatures and then just trying to race. But then that runs into potentially getting hit by Fury or something like that. You just like play right into a Fury, and then I'm so far behind that I, I, I can't really 
play this game. So I find that there's, you know, they they scam you. They scam you. So yep. I find that like, <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of control in that. I have less control in that matchup than I would like. Uh, I don't know. I, like, I think it's because I've played against scams so much. Like, uh, my good friends play it. I've played it, like, so many times in RCQs. And when I've played against it with Merfolk, I'm just like... Yeah, like I have, I have a good matchup, and you know, people is like, oh, it's because Fury, it's like really tough. I'm like, I'm more terrified of a turn one grief. If you grief me yeah. and you before three menace, and you know, you take two cards, and I can't really block it, that's fine. You turn one Fury, I'm like, cool, that's that's good. But I think the best card in that matchup is uh, Merfolk Trickster by far, mainly yeah. because of Dothy Voidwalker, and you know, even with like the Fury or the grief, like you don't even have to tap them down, just having the text of. You know, it doesn't have any abilities anymore, and you're able to block Dothy. You're able to block um, and trade with like a, a grief or a fury. I think it's very, very mm -hmm. impactful. But That's you know, sick. sometimes they just scam you, and you know, <laughs> GGs, and you go to game two. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's sometimes you exchange a lot of resources, and they slam season pyromancer. Like, I hate that card. Oh and then my they god! All of a sudden yeah. they refilled their hand, and like, well, I took out my silver Gilladap, so I don't have any. I have no card advantage anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I forgot that again. Like, there, there are, now I'm thinking all the weaknesses of Silver Gill Adapt. Silver Gill Adapt is weak to, like, Fury. It's weak to Ren and Six. And it's weak to yep. one other card in this metagame. Oh, Fire and Ice. That's what it is. So, like, Fire and Ice oh, can yeah, several yeah. things. Mm -hmm. Or several Silver Gill Adapt. The good thing about Merfolk is that it's, like, pretty cheap overall. Well, here's the problem. Because, like, the, a lot of the staples are cheap. But, like, some of the must-have cards, like... Force and Negation, and Cavern, and, Ca and Chalice. Cavern of Souls, Chalice of the Void. Those are the expensive pieces. Although some people have asked, like, are there any replacements? And like, yeah, there are. You like play Counterspell. You can play Delay. You don't need Cavern of Souls. Cavern of Souls is just really convenient because there's a lot of de a lot of blue decks out there and a lot of people playing Mystical Dispute, and they just have to Mystical mm -hmm. Dispute one creature, so you one turn far enough behind that they'll yeah. they you can you can't catch up. So Cavern of Souls oh, just yeah. prevents all that from happening. And you sometimes get some free wins. Like, I will mm -hmm. admit, sometimes I beat Murktide, it's 50-50, because sometimes I just play creatures off Cavernous they do nothing. They do, yep. don't use their mana at all. Next turn, they play a, a card, sorry, they play a land. Again, I play creatures through Cavernous they do nothing. They take their turn, and it's just always that they have a handful of counter spells, and just they just couldn't interact with uh, mm -hmm. a singular mm -hmm. Cavernous Souls. That's, Does the I've, trick. I've been on the Murktide <laughs> side of that matchup. More than once, and I can tell you that what you're what you're telling me right now is giving me flashbacks of horror. I'm <laughs> just like I'm wasting so much mana every turn. <laughs> I literally cannot cast a spell. I do not have a I do not have a reasonable target for this. <laughs> so, thanks so much for kind of bringing us up to speed on this. I yeah. I appreciate it. This sounds really cool. I know Kyle appreciates it. He's oh. playing it tomorrow. Oh yeah. So that's super cool. Um. Where can people find you? Oh, you can find well, you can find me anywhere like Nikachu MTG, Nikachu MTG Live, Nikachu Plays MTG on YouTube. Know, just look up Nikachu MTG on all the other social media sites. I have a TikTok, but I have no content there, so don't expect it. But I'm there. <laughs> but I got one. <laughs> I, same thing with Instagram. I haven't posted there in like five years. But if you follow me there, you're a tr super true fan because you followed me on a dead account. Awesome. <laughs> uh all right, so we like to just kind of wrap things up with uh, a fun little guessing game. We do a guessing game that is kind of themed to whatever episode we're doing. Mm -hmm. And this one is just an absolute brain geyser of an idea from Kyle. I loved it. <laughs> it was, uh, it's called, What If It Was a Merfolk? 
And okay. you pick an existing, you think of an existing creature card that you would love to Just have love. the creature type merfolk on. Mm-hmm. Mm. What we like to do is we like to think of one, and then we'll give each other hints, and we can ask yes or no questions about it uh, to see if we can guess what card we're thinking of. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I know Anthony, you wanted to go first because you 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 got one. You know, and you, I got, you can start us off. And all right, the creature I'm thinking of is already a blue creature, so we don't have to move that much text around. Okay. And it costs one mana, and it is. Also a tribal card, but not for this tribe. Hmm. Is that when it? Was That's it? all the information we get? <laughs> when was you it can first ask printed? More yes or no questions <laughs> if you'd like. Kyle asks when it was first printed. The first printing of this card was Eldritch Moon. Oh, well that takes out my guess. Oh, 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 it it's Mausoleum Wanderer. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Ooh. So it's commonly a-, a lot of a lot of Merfolk players wish Mausoleum Wanderer was a Merfolk. Yeah. Ooh, that's spicy. I think I that when I was when I saw that, this is the the card image. And I've played a lot of Mono Green Devotion and Pioneer. Mm-hmm. So like this is another one that is a horror show for me. Um so this this card, you know, has given me some nightmares. So I was just like, Oh my god, I could lose to this in a different deck in, in modern too. That would be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so so I got one and it's it's one I've 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 wanted this card just to be a merfolk for so long, for so bad. And Nikachu, I've actually heard you talk about like just wizards trying to print this. Like just just give me this. It was it's a also a tribal card. It's one mana. <laughs> I it know what it print- is. I, yeah. Oh please, please guess with that. That would be so amazing. That would be so sick. <laughs> well, right now? Yeah, right yeah. now. Yes. Yeah, the blue champion of the parish. That's it. Yeah, champion of the parish merfolk. <laughs> Just give me champion of the Pearl Trident. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, that that is because that is that is the one quintessential weakness of Murpho compared to a lot of other decks is that we have like almost no means of putting any early pressure on in the game, like nothing. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes they can just stare at a dock hand or a tide shaper on turn one, or very often they just ignore it because they know it's yeah. just not worth their cards. So if we had Merfolk Champion of the Parish or something that could sizably get bigger is worthy of other people's removal on turn one, then that clears the way for our better cards later on uh, in later turns to not be targeted by that removal. Because there's a lot of situations where you have like a dinky, bunch of dinky stuff and you got the Lords, but the removal hits the Lords and then they just let the dinky stuff like, you know, mm-hmm. just, just sit a bunch there. of one ones. We don't have to worry. Yeah, about it's a those. bunch of one yeah. ones. And they get yeah. all stone blocked by a Merktide or a seasoned Pyromancer or something mm-hmm. uh, yeah. or swept up by a fury later. But like, you, you know, don't they get don't... to have that removal check, like say, yeah, hey, have a removal spell on turn mm-hmm. one ready to go. You need yep. to have this prismatic ending uh fatal push lightning bolt whatever you need to do and and like and also like they need they need to use that removal instead of deploying like creatures Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you know so that gives them a decision do i play ragavan turn one or do i play that removal spell so like the way merfolk is right now they can just basically always ignore whatever we do on turn one and then go about their game plan and then use their removal when it's most convenient for them Mm mm-hmm I love it. Oh man! That's All right, great. now I know that Kyle kind of like low key stole what low key. could have yeah. been your pick. <laughs> oh no, that's uh, not my pick. You... I got something else in mind. Ooh, okay, oh, All right. okay, nice. Okay, so um, uh, it's a yeah, it's a blue creature again. Mm-hmm. It's a blue creature. It's three mana. Okay. And uh, it's a merfolk card, but it's not a merfolk. 
Is it Kira Great Glass Spinner? Yes. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh man. Card. <laughs> this card, if this card is really clunky and awkward right now because it's mm-hmm. it's not a merfolk, but if it was a merfolk, it would be insane because it would also get buffed by the lords. I mean, right now it's just like oh, yeah. three Ooh. mana, awkward with cavernous souls, and only a two two, and best it can be as a two two. But if it could be more than a two two, then it would be um uh it would it would oh, be a pretty be serious card. That'd be great. It'd be a very yeah. serious card. Yeah. It, I've I've had to I've had to fight through a couple Kira Great Glass Spinners and you're redacted. Um, at this point, <laughs> I spent a good chunk of like the first few years of modern just being on like whatever Jeskai deck there was and just having to just throw cards away just to get the Kira off the board, felt, break felt the bad. glass with a bolt, and then yep. use mm-hmm. a removal spell on her. And then if I have a third removal spell, I get to answer the thing that I really want to answer. Yeah. Oh, so good. Oh, that'd be so great if that was a merfolk. Just just keep it legendary, all that stuff, same text. Just just make it make it a fish. That, that'd be so good. <laughs> These days, we're pretty often borrowing from other, other creature types. We've got the subtlety in here. Mm. I didn't even think about playing subtlety for the longest time. Someone else experimented with subtlety, and then I realized, wow, this is amazing. This is good. This oh, just completely so shores up the amulet tight matchup perfectly. And even Yogmo oh, yeah. it's good versus... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, getting getting a Yogmoth subtlety that having played a, a fair share of Yogmoth, it feels really bad. <laughs> that card is so good. I love subtlety. Like like the, the moment I saw that in like a five O list, like somewhere, I'm just like, okay, yeah, it's not a Merfolk, but damn, that, that card's so so good. <laughs> I still think subtlety's a hero card. Like I think I think I think subtlety existing, you know. He's 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 out there fighting for fighting to keep modern a, a fair and reasonable spot. I, fighting I think, the good I fight. Think, fighting the good fight. Yeah, <laughs> he fights to keep the other elementals fair. Yep. Subtleting yep. the other element. Uh, this was this came from Cass from uh, you know uh, the Masters of Modern podcast. But like he's mm-hmm. like the the blue card is always the card that keeps the other cards in the cycle in check. Like mm-hmm. Frost Titan? Yeah, ex- that's exactly what he yeah. said. You know, Frost Titan <laughs> keeps the you know yeah. the Inferno Titans, the Primeval Titans, you know, at bay. Keeping them in line. <laughs> yeah, you put them all in a box and you shake them up. The blue one comes out on top, in mm-hmm. spite of what everyone feels is the worst one of the cycle. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I don't want to keep you here all night. I really appreciate you. Yeah, we really appreciate uh, it. Thank awesome. you so much. I appreciate you inviting me. It was great. And you All got right, Anthony um, to consider playing Merfolk, and yeah. I'm putting creatures th- in my deck and that's, everything. What's that's going a win on? for me. He only plays not- like check pile and control. <laughs> <laughs> I should say, if anyone wants, I mean, like, if anyone wants to become get deeper into the Merfolk community, there is a fish Discord. I have no idea how you find the links to these things now. I think there's like maybe an, a link permanently on Reddit <laughs> in the uh, fish MTG subreddit. I think that's what it's <laughs> called. But like, there's a ton of very useful, helpful people in that Discord that will uh, answer any questions that you want, and is a really good resource for anyone just getting into. But both for like the I, I, hey, I interact there every so often, and for mm-hmm. all the beginners and intermediate players and the masters, they're all in that fish Discord. Um, real quick, if you were to give a nickname to this fish Discord, would you call it Fish Cord or Discord? Ooh, I think Ooh. Fish Cord that ro- that rolled yeah. off the, that rolls off yeah. the tongue great. The fish right. cord. <laughs> Join the fish it. cord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'll track that down, and I'll make sure to link that in the show notes too. Uh, thanks so much for giving us the rundown 
on this. It uh, sounds like an absolute blast. Excellent. Signing off from Lexington, I'm Kyle. I'm Anthony. And until next week, do us a favor. Stay trashy, my friend.